This morning we're going to talk about second chances. And again, who among us hasn't wanted or hasn't needed a second chance sometime in your life? And so as we head in that direction, watch this. He just received one of the most prestigious scholarships in the country. That's Angel Sanchez, this year's commencement speaker and distinguished graduate at Valencia College. Angel grew up in Miami's inner city with drugs, gangs, violence, and a mother battling drugs. He ran away from home at age 13. Angel landed in prison when he was 16 for charges including attempted murder. Then there was a turning point in prison. So Angel immersed himself, got his GED in prison, paralegal certificate, even taking correspondence classes. Then he sent applications to colleges, including Valencia. In three years, Angel has turned his life around. For the longest, he was on the wrong side of the law. Now his passion is law. So when one person's will to succeed is finally met by someone else's compassion and support, great things happen. What an unlikely story especially in light of what Romans 12, 2 in the NIV says, in terms of this phrase, pattern of this world. For you see, it is highly unlikely that a guy who ran away from home at 13, basically raised three years by gangs and by the street, turned out the way he did. For after three years on the street, he at age 16, sent to state prison as an adult and the charges were aggravated assault with a deadly weapon trafficking drugs racketeering and also attempted murder at age 16 and so he went into the state system he received 15 years he served 12 before they paroled him so at 28 he got out and he said I'm going to college and he did in fact, as he went to college, he did not make one single B in his college time at Valencia. He made straight A's. He ended up being the distinguished graduate of a graduating class and the commencement speaker for the college. Not only that, but he also has received a scholarship, and he's applying to Harvard and Columbia, where he ultimately hopes to get a law degree and practice law. Now that's, that's just crazy. That is so unlikely. And so Angel did what Romans 12, 2 in the NIV tells us. It says, do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world. And he didn't do that. It's as he said, when one person's will to change is met by someone else's passionate support, Great things happen. That's true, isn't it? We love hearing stories like that. There's a spiritual side to this as well. And it's when one person's will to change is met by God's passionate support, great things happen. And we love to see that as well, don't we? And we understand that in theory very, very well. But for all of us, there are some things in our lives some places and they may be kind of buried and we don't really think about them often but all of us have places in our lives when we look at that we kind of go yeah but i don't know if that's really true for me in this part of my life and we think about those places in a way that's kind of hard to believe we're ever going to change them or we think that change isn't really an option there or this for us is just how things are in our life. We've been this way a long time and nothing's really going to change or be very different than it is now. In fact, our life's mold is kind of set in this part of our lives and we're just simply stuck in it. 
Let me say, being stuck in something's not bad if everything's super swell and going well in your life. But if I were to ask for a show of hands this morning about how many could say that everything down to the last little part of your life is super swell and going well, I don't think I'd see very many hands. And that means that we all have opportunities for change in our lives, and we all have opportunities for second chances in our life. And the good news is, is that God is a God of change. God is a God of second chances. And we see that in Matthew's ninth chapter, verses 27 through 29, where Jesus went on from there, it says, and two blind men followed him, calling out, have mercy on us, son of David. And when he had gone indoors, the blind men came to him and Jesus asked them, do you believe that I am able to do this? And let me say for some of us in those places of life that are kind of hidden and buried and we don't really want to deal with real often, we don't think this applies to us. No, I'm so used to struggling in this area of my life. This circumstances, I'm so used to it going on and on and on forever. It's like a life sentence for me. And so I don't really believe that there's a second chance for me in this part of my life or that I can change in this part of my life. And for us, I think it's kind of a lot like some car owners were. You may have seen this video in Baltimore a month or two ago when they uh, witnessed this out in front of their apartments with their cars. That's quite shocking. (laughs) You sit there and you watch your car slowly sink down into the earth. Not just the car, but the landscape, including all the trees, the light poles, the railing. And it's all just gone. If you're a car owner there, it's kind of like you have to say, well, (laughs) what can I do? That's it. No going back with this. What's done is done. What is, is. I just have to put up with it. I have to accept it. That's just the way things are. And certainly that would be true for those car owners. But the thing is inside, when it comes to those areas of life that really needs a change and need a second chance in us, we kind of think sometimes the same way about those things, don't we? Jesus also saw that in people in Matthew's 13th chapter, verses 57 and 58 in the NIV, where he said, only in his hometown and his own house is a prophet without honor. And he did not do many miracles there because of their lack of faith. You see, in his hometown, because people didn't believe things were possible, they handcuffed Jesus. And he literally could not do miracles there that he could do almost every place else. And sort of the same thing's true with us. If we in our head and in our hearts, if we believe, hey... This thing in my life, that's it. There's no going back on it. I've tried. What's done is done. What is, is. Ship's already sailed on this. I'm just going to have to continue putting up with it as I have much of my life. I just have to accept it. That's just the way things are. We think that about something in our life that needs change and needs a second chance. We're doing the same thing. We're handcuffing Jesus. And Jesus is not able to do in us what he should do and wants to do and could do and is doing in others of us. And so we see in Matthew's ninth chapter, in verses 27 and 29 in the NIV, again, this question. Jesus asks the blind men, do you believe that I'm able to do this? Do you believe I'm able to heal you? Here's their response. Their response was, yes, Lord, they replied. And then he touched their eyes and said, according to your faith, it will be done to you. 
and their sight was restored. Now, what would have happened when Jesus asked that question if the blind man had said, no, we don't really believe that you can do this? Well, he wouldn't have touched their eyes. It would have been all over. And their sight wouldn't have been restored. They wouldn't have had a second chance at life as a sighted person if they didn't believe Jesus could do that. And you see, when we don't believe Jesus can help us in some area of our life that really needs change in a second chance, then after that, he's not able to touch us. Because what Jesus does is he touches us deep down inside in a way that that can't be described, but is very real. And he is able to affect change in us in whatever area of life that is. And he's able to give us a second chance. But that's only if we believe he can do it. The problem for us is this. <laughs> it's how we think. Because we say, okay, yeah, God, I believe it. Jesus, I want you to change me. And then we start setting up parameters. Well, if this is going to happen in my life, then this is going to have to take place, and that's going to have to take place, and this and that. And so what happened is, is we pretty much predetermined the boundaries by which Jesus can come into our life, reach deep down inside of us, and change us. But if you notice that box there on the screen, the top of it is what? Open. In other words, Jesus thinks outside of our boundaries. He thinks beyond our boundaries. And so he reaches down deep inside of us to touch us. He's going to do it in ways that we don't know. We can't foresee, we can't tell, we can't predict. But for us, what happens is, man, we just are thinking, 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 thinking about those boundaries in the box and how is he going to do that? We see more of this kind of thinking in Matthew's ninth chapter, verses 18 and 19 and 23 and 25 in the NIV. When a ruler came and said to Jesus, my daughter's just died, but come and put your hands on her and she will live. You see, this man believed Jesus could make a difference in her life. He believed his daughter could have a second chance, even though she was near death. And so he said, you need to come and touch her. And Jesus said, okay. And so he got up and he went with him. And so did his disciples. And when Jesus entered the ruler's house and saw all the noisy crowd that was hanging around there, he said, hey, guys, go away. The girl is not dead, but asleep. Look at their response. But they laughed at him. They laughed at him. And after the crowd had been put aside, he went in and he took the girl by the hand and she got up. Her life was restored. She got a second chance at living. You see, so often we're kind of like the crowd there. We sort of laugh as we think about those places in life that we know need change and, and need a second chance. And we think about Jesus actually coming and helping us even though we've tried on our own, in our own way, within our own parameters to fix that thing for all our life. And so we think about Jesus coming and doing that. We're like, we kind of laugh. But you see what Jesus had to do? He had to put those outside that did not believe so that he could indeed raise up that young girl. It's the same thing with us. He needs to help us put our unbelief aside so we can do that. I learned a lot about this in the last couple of years from this guy, from our homeless friend, Jeffrey Phillips. So I've known him probably for about four years, but probably a year and a half ago, he said, you know, if I could get some tools, I could go back to work at the, the union hall. So would you put that on Facebook? And I was kind of like, 
Right. It's like two, three hundred dollars worth of tools. Okay, I'll put them back on. I just kind of laughed under my breath at the whole prospect of that. And as you guys well know, God decided to give Jeffrey a second chance, and he provided two or three hundred dollars worth of tools to him absolutely free. And then, just probably a month ago, got a call and hadn't heard that much from Jeffrey. Knew he hadn't been doing as well with his business, but I knew he had had some physical problems this year as well. And he called and said, I am in the hospital. I said, oh, wow. And he said, listen, in about four days, my rent is due on my storage unit. Jeffrey's got a storage unit, and he started kind of making his own way, paying his bills for it, for his phone, for his bus pass every month. He said, yeah, it's kind of due, and it's actually late. And I said, well, how late is it? He said, three months. And I'm like, Jeffrey, come on, dude. And so it's the next month's due, so that's four months. He said, here's my password for Facebook and my username. And so would you go on Facebook and, and ask if people would donate so I could save my storage unit and all my stuff in it? And I said, okay. It was night, just about when I was ready to quit work and go watch TV with Patty and probably looking at like 9 o'clock. So I said, okay, because I knew the next day and the next day after that I had absolutely no time to do it. So I put it on and I came out. Patty goes, wow, what took so long? And I said, I got this thing from Jeffrey and he asked me to put this thing on to see if we could save a storage unit. I kind of laughed and I said, you know what, if God wants to help Jeffrey, God can help Jeffrey now. Hour and a half later, God helped Jeffrey three times what he owed was donated. And so I called him up and said, God really loves you, man. He's given you a second chance on this. And he goes, yeah, I know God loves me. And then after that, it was probably four or five days later, I got a call from the social worker at the hospital. And she said, you know, Jeffrey really has some pretty serious medical issues. And I think we can get him on disability. I'm thinking, wow, disability, then guess what, Jeffrey? I called him up and said, you're going to be able to get off the street. God's going to give you a second chance at a home, dude. You haven't had a home in way more than a decade. How about that? I go, God really loves you. He goes, yeah, I know he does. And then it was a couple days after that, I get a call from a nurse at the hospital. who says, Jeffrey's really not doing very well physically. We're thinking he's going to need to go into hospice care. I was shocked. Three days later, he died. And you know what? God wanted Jeffrey to have a second chance at a home. Much better home than disability check would have gotten him, but an eternal home with God. Guess what? Jeffrey has a much better home than any of us have right now. And so he had another second chance for Jeffrey. And I learned so much about that from him. It's the same for us. God wants to give each of us a second chance after a second chance, after a second chance, in things in our lives that need that change and need that second chance. When it comes to second chances, first you've got to believe that it's possible for you, no matter what you've been through in this part of your life before. And when you do, there's really four keys to that second chance becoming real and full and manifested in your life. And we see that in 2 Samuel 12, 1 through 7, and verse 13 in the New International Version, where it said, The Lord sent Nathan to David. Nathan's a prophet, David's the king. Why did the Lord send the prophet Nathan to David? It was because David had this thing in his life that really needed a change. And he was just kind of cruising along like everything was okay. Isn't that what we do? If I stopped and asked every one of you this morning, and I won't do this, 
What is one thing in your life that you've really struggled with for a very long time that you could use a second chance with, that you could use change with? I dare say every one of us would be able to identify that. But what do we do? We just cruise along, so everything's okay. That's what David was doing here. And God wanted to bring to David's attention something that really, really needed a fix, really needed a change. David needed a second chance. And let me say he wants to do the same thing with each one of us and whatever that thing is in our life. So the story goes like this. The Lord sent Nathan to David, and he said, There are two men in a certain town, one rich, the other poor. The poor man had nothing except one little ewe lamb that he had bought. He raised it, and it grew up with him and his children. It shared his food. It drank from his cup. It even slept in his arms. It was like a daughter to him. Now, a traveler came to the rich man. But the rich man refrained from taking one of his own sheep to prepare a meal for the traveler. Instead, he took the ewe lamb that belonged to the poor man that was like his daughter, and he prepared it as dinner. For the one who had come to him. Let me say, David was furious. He burned with anger against the man and said, Surely as the Lord lives, the man who did this deserves to die. He must pay for that lamb four times over because he did such a thing and had no pity. Then Nathan said to David, You are that man. You see, the first key to second chances is we have to consider and reflect upon what area in our life or what thing in our life we are stuck on or stuck with. For David, it was like, let's see here. The issue was this woman he had seen bathing, obviously very attractive. And so he had her brought over to the palace. He seduced her, got her pregnant. Problem was that she was married and her husband was off fighting for God and fighting for Israel in the war. And so David says, let's see, how can I fix this? I'll get her husband back on furlough, tell him to go home and sleep with his wife. Then when she's pregnant, everybody will think it's his. He'll think it's his. Everything will be okay. However, her husband came back and said, you know, I'm fighting for God and I'm fighting for Israel. I can't go and just be with my wife in a time like this. And our king is so connected with God. And so he slept on the palace front doorstep of David, refusing to go be with his wife. And David's like, oh my goodness, let me see if I can get him drunk. And then maybe I can get him to go home and sleep with his wife. And that didn't work either. And so David sent him with a note back to the commander saying, put this guy on the front line. Put him in the most dangerous part of the action, hoping he would be killed. And he was. And so David's just kind of cruising along like everything's normal. Takes Bathsheba in to be his wife. Now she's pregnant. Everybody knows it's the king's and everything's cool, right? Not with God. God says, man, oh man. There's something you need to deal with, David. You need to reflect upon this. And the story brought that to mind for him. The same for us. God says to each of us, you know, there's places in your life that you need to reflect on, you need to consider. You've struggled with, they've been painful to you. Maybe nobody else knows about it but me and you. But you need to consider and reflect upon those things with me. And so after this, what did David do? David then said to Nathan, after he had realized what was going on and what he needed to deal with, he said, I have sinned against the Lord. So after reflecting on that, he realized that's not really how God wanted him to live. The same true for us, places in our lives. God doesn't want us living there in that way as well. We need to confess those things as David did. 
Then Nathan replied to David, the Lord has taken away your sin. I know as we read that, we're shocked, like, wow, that didn't take very long. Well, you know, when your heart is in that right place with God, when we reflect on an area that we are stuck in our life, and we realize this isn't the way God wants us to live, then guess what? We release it. We are able to let go of it for God to change our understanding and our thinking about that thing in our life. And that's what God did with David. David said, I've sinned. I'm in your hands, God. And God could have struck him down dead and raised up another king. But he didn't because David really reflected on that. He really loved the Lord. I have a friend who went through this process 22 years ago in a really pretty incredible way. You know him, I think. Let me show him to you this way. Jim McCleary is full of passion. He's a self-proclaimed surf bum, former party animal, and a guy who loves Christ. He says the Lord saved his life. Yep, Jim McCleary was a surf bum. And what that meant was some of the days that you were supposed to go to work and the waves were good, you didn't. You called in sick and you went surfing. And so he got very good at surfing. A surf bum also means that when you're at your break, his break was the inlet at New Smyrna Beach, one of the best breaks on all the East Coast. When he was out there doing his thing, you did not want to get in his way because he could also be a surf bully. You got in his way or one of his friends' way, he would paddle to you, knock you off the board, and beat you up. So he was not only a surf bum, he was a surf bully. And they also said he was a party animal. He was. He drank lots of alcohol. He did lots of drugs. Not only that... He slept with lots of ladies. He said, I was a complete hedonist. It was all about me, and I just lived that way. Until something happened. Until he had a very serious car accident on Highway 50 in Bithlow. And he was laying on the highway. And his thoughts were, you know what, I'm going to die. And as he did, he reflected upon his life. It was stuck in all the wrong directions. And he realized that was not really the way God wanted him to live. He confessed that to God. He said, God, if you'll let me live, I'll live my life for you. I'll live the way you want me to live. And so he let go of his life. He released it to God to change his way of understanding himself and thinking about himself. The really cool thing was, obviously, he lived. And in doing that, he really moved into what Romans 12, 2 in the NIV says, do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world. For him, the pattern of hedonism, drunkenness, bullying. So do not conform anymore to that, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And I love the way that the message version of Romans 12, 2 puts it. Jim says, you know, I thought and did everything without even thinking. The truth is, in those areas of life we struggle with, we just go on through life without ever thinking about them either. But the Scripture says this, instead, fix your attention on God. And what happens is God will reach deep down into your life as He did gems, and He will change you. You'll be changed from the inside out. You'll be changed in a way that you cannot predict, a way that you cannot put boundaries around, but a way deep down inside of you that will be far beyond anything that you could imagine. So readily recognize that God wants this from you. Quickly respond to it. And like all the stuff that constantly drags you down, God brings out the best of you. That's what he does. That's who he is. He is the God of second chances. He's the God of change. And so as you reflect on those stuck areas of your life, realize it's not how God wants you to live. And as you let go and release that for God to change your understanding and thinking about it, 
what God does is he replaces that place in you with something else. God carefully writes a new story on your heart and on your mind about those things. Now, for Jim, the new story involved him starting crossover adult Christian basketball. And so what happened was he gathered some guys in the gym at his church. And every Monday night they meet and they play basketball for a lot of times several hours. But somewhere in the middle they stop. And every week they have a Bible study or Jim brings them a message. And let me say a number of men over the years have given their life to Christ because of the crossover Christian men's basketball. And that's not all. He also has another basketball ministry, crossover youth basketball, in which he has the junior high kids come in first. And then after that, takes a break, and the senior high kids come in during the break. And he, again, teaches the Bible to them, shares a message with them every week. And last month, seven kids gave their life to Christ in his youth basketball ministry. And many of the kids in the adult and in the youth are kids from the street. Kids don't go to church. They just love basketball. And after a while, they learned to love Jim. Jim has led so many of them away from that life into God. But that's not all of Jim's story. God also wrote this on his heart. Remember, he's a surf bum. Jim started Crosswaves Christian Family Surfing Ministry. 20 years. It's the 20th year that he's had it. And every time Crosswaves meet, somebody preaches. Somebody brings the word. And not only that, the people come to Christ and people are baptized. That's the story that God very carefully wrote on Jim's heart because he reflected on how stuck he was in his life and he realized it wasn't how God wanted him to live. He was able to let go, release it, and God was able to change his understanding and thinking about himself. And then after that, God carefully wrote a new story in his life and upon his heart. There's a song that's popular that's on the radio right now in which Francesca Battistelli talks about second chances, how God brings sight to the blind, how God raises the dead. And she also talks about, from a personal standpoint, how God has written a new story in her life. And so if you will, watch this. Indeed, 
God wants to write his story on each one of our hearts. He wants to replace the story in certain places of our lives that we've lived with far too long. It seems like a life sentence to us. And so reflect on whatever area of life you are stuck in. Consider that and realize this isn't the way God wants you to live. You know that. Confess it. Let go and release that part of your life for God to change your understanding and your thinking about and ask God to replace it to carefully write his new story on your heart right there revelations 21 5 says this Jesus makes this remark I'm making everything new and then he said write this down for these words are trustworthy and true God wants to write that new story on your heart and those words are trustworthy and true for me for you Would you pray with me? Great God, thank you so much for your word. And thank you for those great pioneers of faith. King David, a couple of blind men, a father, the dying child. The Lord Jesus himself shows us your true heart. And that true heart is for change. And that true heart of yours is for second chances for us. In places of life that we just go around normally as if they're not there. We know what they are. You know what they are. And so, Father, help us. Give us courage to consider them, to look at them. Help us to realize before you confess it, I know that's not the way you want me to live here, Lord. Help us too, dear Father, to let go of those places, to release them to you. May your touch move deeply inside of us, affecting your change there. As you do that, Father, write that new story in that place upon our hearts. We rejoice in that and thank you for that. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.